This is the Apartment Building Investing Podcast with Micah Blanc, episode 114. Let's do this. You're listening to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast, where we'll talk about all aspects of buying apartment buildings with a special focus on raising money from others. And now, your host, Michael Blanc. Hey, hey, everybody, and welcome to the show. I'm really excited you're here to learn with me about apartment building investing. The best way for you to become financially free, even if you have no prior experience or any of your own cash. One of the key elements of getting started with apartment buildings or real estate in general, really, is your skill, your ability to be able to negotiate. So today I have on the show a negotiation expert, Stefan Arnio. And he's got a really fascinating story. He started off being a guitar teacher, playing in a rock band, making $10,000 a year. And then he read Rich Dad Poor Dad and it opened up his eyes and it changed his life. And he got started with real estate investing, even though at the time he only had $1,200 in his pocket. You know, fast forward a few years and today he's an award-winning real estate entrepreneur, self-made millionaire. Uh, he wrote several books. One of them is called Confessions of a 20-something Self-Made Millionaire. And the book we're going to focus on today is Ten Commandments of Negotiation. He was recently inducted into the Rich Dad International Hall of Fame. So really excited to have him on the show because on the show we're going to talk about how to get what you want, but how to do so without being a butthole, basically, right? And what you need to do to kind of have a successful negotiation. One of the clear things that I came out of it was is make sure that you collect enough information and don't make an offer too early and to obey the laws of what he calls non-linear time. And when you make an offer, always make one of more value to them than what they're looking for. So a really fascinating interview today with Stefan Arneo. Let's get right into it. Uh, Stefan, welcome to the show today. Hey, thanks for having me, Michael. Yeah, I'm really pleased to have you here. You have a, such a fantastic story. I mean, like your life dream was to be like a rock star and you were apparently pretty darn good. The only problem is you weren't making any money. And then you discovered Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and you are now where you are today. So... Can you just tell that story? I mean, first of all, what was wrong with being a rock star? I mean, a lot of people love the idea of being a rock star, but somehow it didn't pan out for you. Well, there's a lot of people in real estate, actually. I was on the Real Estate Guys cruise last year. Were you on it last year, too? I was, but we had so many people on there, we never had a chance to hang out. Right, right. Yeah, I recognize you from the cruise. So, you know, it's interesting on the cruise, a lot of real estate guys with money they also happen to be musicians, and they also have very beautiful wives. You know, it's like a Venn diagram. <laughs> See a pattern. So, yeah, there's a pattern there, right? These very bright men with music ability, which is a, usually a high IQ thing. You know, smart people play music. When I was 16, I wanted to be a rock star because I wanted to be rich and famous. And that seemed to be the only way. You know, if you watch TV, you see that people get rich from you know being a movie star, a sports star, a rock star. So I said when I was 16, I want to be rich and famous. I want to be a rock star. I told my mom, told my dad. And they said, that's a horrible idea. But my mother said, you know, I support you anyways. Why don't you go to music school? So I, you know, grew up a little bit, went to the University of Manitoba. I'm from Canada. I'm wearing my America sweater, though. I wear it every day. Live in Canada. And I'm up here. I go to the University of Manitoba and I start living as a musician. You know, I make my living as a guitar teacher and I'm doing gigs and I'm playing jazz music because there was no rock and roll in the university. So I'm playing jazz music. I'm playing gigs and I'm making a living. But, you know, I have a little rock band on the side. That's my business. I got my rock band business. I got my guitar teaching. I got my gigs, my jazz gigs. And I realized, you know, hauling that gear out at two in the morning, three in the morning for 50 bucks or whatever we were getting paid. This is back in 2005, you know, 2004, 2005. I realized that this life was just not a good life. So I ended up picking up a book 
on a chance, just, you know, randomly at the University of Manitoba, there's a poster that said, get rich like rich dad, poor dad. And I thought, man, I got a poor dad. He's a limo driver. I should learn what it's like to have a rich dad. So I read the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And, you know, immediately it was like rediscovering rock and roll. I thought, this is great. I can get mailbox money. I can get passive income. Owning property sounds great. I can get rich in a predictable way. Getting rich never seemed predictable. It seemed like you had to have a hit song. But now suddenly I thought, wow, I'm going to sell all my music here. And I started with $1,200 in real estate at age 22. And today I'm 31, self-made millionaire. Rich Dad International Hall of Fame, written four books. Uh, I train people now because people come to me, they want to, you know, do the things that I've done and raise money and do all that stuff. So it's been a real journey. I never would have guessed I'd be here today, but that's what happens when you take one little thing and you go to the next thing. And, you know, after about 10 years, your life looks totally different. Yeah. You know what? But the difference between you and a lot of other people is that you actually decided that whatever life you're leading at the time was completely unacceptable. And you took action. When you've decided that you want something else, the universe complies. On the other hand, I find people who say they want a million dollars, but you know, their life actually ain't so bad. And as a result, they never actually really take action because they truly haven't decided. Now, you've not only decided, but taken massive action. And what I love about you is that not only are you successful in your own right, but you're teaching other people. And I love that. In Mm -hmm. fact, the books you've written, you know, obviously they're about your story, but they're also about selling, right? The importance of selling. And then what we're going to talk about today is the importance of negotiation. So I really love that, you know, you've taken all this experience and now you're, you're helping other people with that. Now, obviously, selling is important. I think we're going to focus on negotiation here because that's, I think, is also very important. Why is negotiation important in life in general? And then we'll talk about why it's, of course, important for real estate. Well, Tony Robbins says a really interesting thing. He says, you know, if you want love and connection, there's human needs, right? There's certainty, uncertainty love and connection, significance, and then he's got growth and contribution. Tony Robbins says a really funny thing. He says, if you want love and connection, but you can't communicate, get a dog. You know, if you can't communicate with a human, you can get a dog and still have that love and connection. And I wrote this book, 10 Commandments of Negotiation, because 2012, I started to get really serious about real estate. I started to hire coaches. I started to get mentors, started to fly all around the United States and Canada learning from people. I saw George Ross, Donald Trump's right-hand man, Donald Trump's lawyer who negotiated all his big deals, you know, like 40 Wall Street and Trump Tower. And George Ross said, people fail at two things, time management and negotiation. Entrepreneurs fail at those two things. So I made negotiation a study. I went out and I read every book I could find on negotiation. And I started to study really hard. And you know, first year I took real estate seriously, which is my third year in the business. I did one deal year one, one deal year two. Year three, I did 12 deals. Year four, I did 24 deals. Next year, I did 30 deals. Now I'm doing mostly buy, fix, sell little small homes and some little, you know, multi-units. But there was a huge growth there because I studied negotiation. I learned to negotiate and my deals are all bought at 40 to 60 cents on the dollar. Now in life, you know, if you want to have a girlfriend, boyfriend, a business, I've got about nine employees, eight, nine employees, something like that. If you want to have employees and investors and a girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever you like, you need to negotiate with all those people all day. And really, any human interaction is a negotiation. So it's a language. It's a skill. You need it in everything, business and in life, in love, in money. You need it everywhere. But we just don't learn it at school for a whole bunch of reasons. Yeah, a whole bunch of reasons. But I love in your book, you have this, you know, this kind of a 
silly example where you're interacting with people at a hotel and you're negotiating all along the way and you look at it and go, well, I'm just kind of really communicating, but you're asking for a bunch of stuff. You're asking for complimentary bottles of water, for a free upgrade, for a checkout, right? It's like he says, if you don't ask, you don't get. And most of us, and I think you point out in my own observation, culturally and Western societies in general, we don't really like to negotiate. We're not really comfortable. When we interact with other cultures, they're much more comfortable. In fact, they actually love it and makes it very uncomfortable. You know, and why is that? Why don't we become better negotiators so that we ask for more? And what's wrong with asking? So the other person gets a little more uncomfortable, but so what? Mm -hmm. Well, it's really interesting. I mean, Americans love to smile. You know, if you look at the Germans, the Germans don't smile. Hey, I'm they, German they now. Be, be nice, not... nice what you say about Germans, but you're right. <laughs> <laughs> love, love it. You know, the Germans, they don't smile. Americans smile. That's an American culture. Yeah. I'm from Canada. In Canada, we just bend over every day for everybody. So we give everything away. We say we're sorry. Like Canada is probably worst negotiators in the world. It's interesting to look at the different cultures. You know, you look at the East Indian culture, they're fierce. They want to sell at 120 cents and they want to buy at two cents. You know, the Mexican culture, they're negotiating every day on the street. The Chinese culture, they got their own style. The Middle Eastern, they got their own style. The Jewish culture, every culture has its own style and boundaries with how they negotiate. And in the Western world, Canada, US, England, they're horrible. Canada, they're horrible. U.S. is a little better, but still not good. You know, we pay the sticker price at the store and that's pretty much it. We're deconditioned from negotiation in the name of commerce. Yeah, exactly. And I think uh, your argument is that it holds us back. And I would agree with that as well. I think you have a, a funny example also in your book where you, you said you're teaching this negotiation class and there's these, you know, all these guys in suits and they're supposed to negotiate for anything like 10 houses, 10 cars or 10 pieces of furniture or something like that. And then what happens in that? It's really funny. What happens in that group dynamic? Well, I do a negotiation class where everybody gets real money and they cash in for poker chips. So when there's real money on the table, you've got to be a student of human nature and negotiation. And there's actually a study, George Ross, uh, I got on the back of my book here, George Ross was mentioning that 150 CEOs were pulled in a study and the top three traits that they wanted in their negotiators was personality, great personality, number two, understanding of human nature, number three, ability to organize information. And when you put these men in suits or you put, you know, I've had classes with women in them, but the first class I did was all men and pandemonium broke out. All hell broke loose. People were jumping on desks, yelling, screaming, slamming doors. Somebody stole someone else's fake money. We had to stop the class because there was stealing happening. I mean, human nature came out in the worst way. And it's amazing because these are nice guys, civilized guys, but it turned into Lord of the Flies. It turned into Survivor. It turned into Hurricane Katrina. It just turned crazy all of a sudden because people were negotiating in a competitive way. In the last class I did, I had 46 negotiators in it. And we had like rivalries, like people had gotten rivalries. And a lot of the most dominant negotiators would refuse to negotiate against other people. And if you don't make a deal, the house takes your money. So they would rather give their money to the house than give it to the competitor. And it just turned almost toxic because they got so competitive. And that's really not the greatest way to negotiate. I agree with that. So let's talk about, you have this book, The Ten Commandments of Negotiation. And I think they're really fascinating. So let's kind of go over each one of them because you put them all together. And I think it's really going to make everyone listening just a better negotiator in life in general, but of course, in real estate, more importantly. So the first one is kind of in your face. It's get what you want and get out. You know, it doesn't really sound like a win-win too much, but what do you mean by that? You know what, dude, win-win is like, 
it's not real. Win-win is not a real thing. If you can have win-win, I say do it. You can usually have a win-win, but I think the number one thing in negotiating is make sure you get what you're looking for. And once you got it, get off the table because what happens is people are always pushing for more, right? You might get what you want and then you're pushing for more and more and more. You might get the right price. Your people like apartment blocks, right? A lot of apartment blocks, you're planning on holding those things for a long time frame, you know, 10, 20, 30 years. The price you pay kind of doesn't matter when you're holding it for 30 years because the mortgage is going to pay itself off, right? But if you're going to push and push and push and push for a lower and lower price or you're going to push on some item that you think you're getting just for fun, you're going to kill the negotiation. So you got to decide where enough's enough. And when you get the thing that you want, you have to get off the table. Like I just bought my neighbor's house. I'm in my office here. I own a house here, run my office out of this house and my neighbor's house came up for sale. And I had an 80 year old multimillionaire I was negotiating against. I'm buying a multimillion dollar warehouse right now and I'm doing a storage facility in it. And this 80 year old man comes into my office and he's a multimillionaire and we're going to negotiate for this warehouse. And he says, the neighbor's house just came for sale. And he said, you should buy it. And I said, I already bought it actually. It was funny because this 80 year old multimillionaire is giving me advice. Well, dude, I already bought the house. And I bought the neighbor's house for, I think it was 357,000. Now that's give or take market value. But I own this house. I own the second house. They both cash flow and I'm assembling them. So it doesn't matter. I plan on never selling. So the price doesn't matter. What do I want? I want the assembly of land. I even overpaid. I bribed the realtor. I even gave extra money to the realtor because it was going to go into a competitive negotiation with a bidding war. And I paid a bribe to make that go away. And that is a better technique to get what I want than to try to haggle this guy over five grand or 10 grand or 20 grand or 40 grand or whatever, because the assembled land when I'm 50 in 20 years is going to be worth a huge amount of money. We're right downtown in Winnipeg. So this land is going to be huge in 20, 30 years. So you got to look at the whole picture and get what you want and get out. And that's a good point. And that leads us to commandment number two, which is have a pleasing personality. I remember when I sold our house, I don't know, about 10 years ago, the house we moved out, the buyer was a giant pain in the rear end. I think he was a professional negotiator, but he was a pain of the butt variety. So he would negotiate. Right. He would ring. He would ring on every, every point. I'm kind of like a consensus builder. Like, I just want to get stuff done. Like, I want to get the deal done. I know what's important to me. So I will concede on minor points just to get the bigger points. But there are people, and this he's not the only one, they don't have a pleasing personality. And hadn't it been a buyer's market so much back in the day, I would have told this guy to go fly a kite. And I think as a result, a lot of people lose deals because they get in, they get what they want, and then they want more. Right. And that's exactly why get what you want to get out is the key commandment. Like that's the bottom base commandment. You know, the personality is amazing. Like in the last negotiation class I ran, we had 46 negotiators. The number one negotiator, her name was Razna. And she was an East Indian lady, divorced. She just turned 40 today. It's her birthday, actually, today. And Razna was such a pleasing woman, you know, dressed nicely, nice pearls, nice makeup, nice-looking lady. And she was just a pleasing personality. And she was the number one cash collector, the number one winner of the negotiations because people liked to deal with her. And she didn't have any ego problems, didn't have any rivalries, didn't have any, you know, really, really difficult personality issues. And everybody would deal with Razna, and Razna ended up winning more than anybody else and collected more cash than anybody else because they wanted to deal with her. 
Yeah. So in other words, don't be a pain in the butt. <laughs> yeah. And then, so what's commander number three? Number three, I'm going to have to check the book, man, because like I don't really memorize my own books. But commandment number three, we got it over here. It is prepare diligently and collect all information. That's right. You know, when you're going into a negotiation right now, I'm negotiating on a, a deal. It's a $3.4 million storage facility. And the purchase is going to be about a million bucks. And then we're going to put in about half a million and then should be able to refi and pull some money out there. And when you go into a negotiation, you need to know everything about the vendor. You need to know everything. You know, one of the greatest things you can do to prepare is Google the people involved. Just type their name into Google. Type in the vendor's name into Google. Like, for example, it's really interesting. These vendors, I think they're married, but they spell their last name in two different ways. So they have some weird asset protection thing going on. And then they've got one company owns the building that one person owns. The other person leases it from the other one. So you need to know everything you can before you go into the negotiation. Because if you have all the information, you're able to make an offer quickly. And in real estate, we both know, Michael, that it's a competitive business. Nobody is stopping anybody from buying real estate. So every Tom, Dick, and Harry, the realtor is your competition. The mom and dad of the vendor are the competition, the brothers and the sisters. Everybody's competition for real estate. So you need to have all the facts in advance so that you can make an intelligent offer right away on the spot. And that's my mantra is when you go in there, you better be able to make an offer. If you have to go home and crunch the numbers, I think that's uncompetitive. You're going to lose to someone like me who's going to come in prepared and ready to go. Right. And that prepares you for commandment number four, which is know what you want and have clear written goals for each negotiation. And so you don't know what that is if you don't prepare and collect all the information. So of all the information you say, what's really important and what's maybe not important? Can you talk a little bit more about that one? Yeah. Well, every negotiation usually has a major point and then it's got three minor points and then it's probably got six kind of throwaway points. So there's about 10 points, let's say. One major point, it could be price. If you're buying, it's often price. If you're selling, it's usually a term. It's interesting. Price and terms are interchangeable. But there's usually a major point and some minor points. And what I do is I have a, this is a product I've made actually. It's called the Black Book. And the Black Book is something I keep my notes in. So I've got names, phone numbers. You know, every time I do a negotiation, like this morning, I had a negotiation with my uh, acquisition team and I wrote down some of the deals we're working on and just keeping track of what's going on. Now, when you go in, to the negotiation, you have to know what your major points are. People get in all the time into a negotiation and don't know what they actually want. And then they float. The human mind actually floats. It's a fluid thing. And we end up going for something we never thought we would. Like, here's an example. I went in to buy a luxury condo two years ago. And for some reason, I ended up buying all this lady's furniture too. Well, I never <laughs> planned on buying her furniture, but I didn't have it written down what I was there to do. And suddenly I'm buying this lady's furniture. I bought all her antiques for 4,000 bucks and I'm refinishing them with leather for $9,000. Next thing you know, I got $15,000 of antiques. And that was just like some weird emotional thing. I got the antiques still. They look awesome. They're super cool. But I didn't have like my principles written down and I wasn't sticking to them and I was nonchalant. And now I got a bunch of antiques I never planned on having. Right. Yeah. So you got you to know what your you know non-negotiables are and then what you can maybe concede as well. Commandment number five is gather all the information before making an offer. How is that a little bit different than maybe number three where you're preparing diligently? Well, what people often do in negotiating is they just start throwing numbers around, right? So 
in real estate, it often comes down to price at some point. Actually, you know, Chester Carraz, one of the godfathers of negotiation, he says it comes down to price always at some point. I'd agree. I think price and terms are interchangeable, though. You want to have all the information before making an offer. What happens is newbies make offers too quickly. And I think you're better off to hold back, hold back. I had a property we were buying. This is about six months ago. And it was a private, we buy houses property, so private vendor. We go meet this property, and I think they wanted 180000 or 190000 for the house. I stood there for three hours negotiating with them. So it was a three-hour negotiation. There was a dead cat in the kitchen. There was five other cats running around, house full of junk, a room full of Elvis memorabilia. We had the brother of the lady who owned the house who lost her mind, went to the old folks' home. We had the son who was my age or the grandson. We had the daughter. We had all these characters and people. And Bryce, my acquisition guy and myself, we stood there for three hours. And I made them an offer. I can't remember. I think it was like 125000 They wanted one eighty, And then I think I started actually at one hundred and ten or 111000 We closed at one twenty-five, But it took three hours. They kicked us out twice. And they left once. And we didn't leave. We just stood there. The moral of the story there is... We waited until the right time to make the offer. And we waited until the right time in that negotiation. Now, three hours, you might say, man, that's a long time to stand in a cat pee house or it's a long time to stand in a property. But I have a mentality where I don't want to come back for a second meeting, third meeting, fourth meeting, fifth meeting. I'd rather close it up right now. So, you know, standing there and knowing when to make the offer and what the offer has to have and what it doesn't have to have. Now, ultimately, they had to leave town and go across the country. I knew they were leaving in two days. So knowing that they had to leave town and they couldn't deal with it made my ability to buy better. And knowing that information before making the offer is what closed the deal. If I didn't have that information, I wouldn't have closed the deal. I would have had to go home and run the numbers and somebody else would take the deal, probably a realtor. Yeah, that's right. And in some way or another, commandment number six is always present an offer of greater value. Somehow you must have presented an offer to them that was greater than the alternative, which is not selling or maybe selling later. So what's your counsel on presenting an offer that even has greater value than even what they might be asking for? Well, you know, whether you're buying a house or an apartment block, I mean, I know a lot of apartment acquisitions are made with elderly people, retiring people. I'm doing this uh, warehouse deal right now. These people are 80 years old. And the sticking point is on this commercial deal, it's 50,000 square feet full of antiques and they're antique collectors. Well, there's an emotional point to this. They have 50,000 square feet of antiques that they cherish. They think these things are worth you know, gold to them. I said to them, hey, you know what? We're working on the price. Now they're willing to do a vendor take back. They're willing to do a lease option. They're willing to do a lot of creative things because they don't need the money and they're 80, right? So when you're 80, everything's paid off life is good. But my offer to them is one where I want to help them liquidate the antiques. I'll bring the manpower. I said, you guys are 80. You guys are older. You guys can't move all these antiques. Let me bring my nine young employees. Let me bring the service. That's the key word. Let me bring service to the table. Now, are they going to pay for that in a lower price or are they going to pay for that in terms? Of course, they're going to pay for it in terms. But I'm bringing service and because they have service, they don't care, right? It's like Starbucks. Starbucks has great service and they give you this fancy drink for $5 and the service is really good. So you'll pay five bucks for Starbucks. 
you know, if you go to the cafeteria in your workplace, it's a 60 cent coffee or a dollar coffee. Well, there's no service with that. And so people will pay a premium for the service. They'll pay a premium to have their problem solved. And by paying a premium, that's usually a price reduction, or that might be favorable terms or something. It's usually price or terms in real estate. But you won't know that unless you ask questions, right? You're not going to know that someone's leaving in two days. You don't know that someone's going to have an issue with this thing hidden. So if you ask those questions, you can actually help them. So it's not like you're taking advantage of people. You're actually solving a problem. Yeah. And that's in my book, we got collect, clutter, close, 3C. We want to collect information and then you clutter. When you bring out your offer, you bring out 10 points. Here's 10 points that we got to address. And somewhere in there is your key points and some are throwaways. And then you got to close in on the points that you want. And so collecting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting to make your offer, like I'm negotiating on this commercial deal. We've been going on this since March. I think we've had like seven or eight meetings now. And we've been going back and forth and nobody's saying a number because we're both waiting and waiting. I gave them a letter of intent two weeks ago now with numbers on it. And they're going to counter me this week. So there's a dance there and there's questions and you know, I'm waiting as long as I can to make an offer and they're waiting as long as they can to not say a number. And at some point, I'm actually worried somebody might die. Like we got to do something soon. You know, you want to wait and wait and wait to collect, 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 because the more ammo you have, the higher chances of getting a good deal or a great deal are. Yeah, but I can tell you're having fun with this. (laughs) Oh, I love it, man. I love it. Negotiating. I love negotiating. I get sad because I don't do much acquisitions anymore. My team does it. So I don't get to go in the field. I don't get to go and, you know, stand in the properties. I don't do much of that anymore. So it is fun to have a bird. I'm like a cat with a bird over here, you know? Yeah. Commandment number seven is do not give concessions freely. And you talked about the three C's and we had this introduced thing called clutter. You ask for all these things and maybe three of the 10 things are things you really want. And seven are, you know, you can probably concede on. But even if you concede on, you say, don't give the concessions freely. What do you mean by that? Right. So, you know, I like what George Ross says. He says, what the big print giveth, the small print taketh away. You know, I was saying about service, right? If I'm going to help you with the antiques, if I'm going to help you clean this place out, I need a concession somewhere. It's got to equalize out. What happens all the time, and you see this with like companies or marketers, if they start giving stuff away, like if you go, let's say you're going to buy a car and they say, Oh, you get free air conditioning and you get free uh, detailing and you're going to get free rust coat and you're going to get free delivery. Well, you walk in and you didn't value any of those things. You just got four freebies and now you're going to say, well, give me five more freebies. But if you come in and you start negotiating and they say, well, you know what, Michael, we like you here. I know you want a discount on the car. Let's throw in the rust coating today. We're going to throw that in because we like you. This is the last sale of the day. Let's put that on your tab today and you go hey that sounds great well now they didn't give those things to you you had to work for it so you got to make people work for their concessions don't give them away freely and then the other thing is uh, I call it unfair trading when they want one thing you should take four or five and that's something that the really great negotiators will do if you come to my negotiation class and you watch people negotiate like I remember negotiating some of the students I'll take seven items and they'll take one so the trading just became totally unfair because they don't have their mind calibrated to the value of these things. They're not taking notes. They're not planning ahead. And a really great negotiator can come in and just decimate somebody who's not keeping track of all those things. Yeah, that's a good point. So if you're giving something up, always get something in return. In your case, maybe even more than one thing. 
Number eight is yeah. take what you want and give what they need. I think we kind of talked about that a little bit, but let's say a few more words about that. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, we're talking about that cat house with a dead cat in the kitchen. Take what you want and give what they need. Well, they need to sell, man. I stood in that house for three hours because I knew that they had to sell. And so they needed to sell. That was a need I wanted to buy. So I took what I wanted and gave what they need. And that's a powerful thing because, you know, people want things, but they don't need them. They want that price. They want the terms, but it's not what they need. So you want to give them what they need, manage what they need, but take what you want. And there's a double standard there. You'll notice a lot of negotiation is often the double standard. The way it is for them is not the way it is for me. You'll also notice in negotiating, especially transactional negotiating, is the morals and the ethics go out the window. People lie, they cheat, they steal. The way that it is for them is not the way it is for me. The rules for them are not the rules for me. And it's really interesting because you can have the most moral and ethical people coming in and they'll tell you how moral and ethical they are and then you'll catch them and they're doing some weird thing in a negotiation. They'll say, oh, well, you know, it's fine for me to do this to you, but don't do it to me. I say that Human beings want to take advantage of other humans, but they don't want someone taking advantage of them. Like, think about the double standard. Oh, I want to buy the divorce sale. Oh, but I don't want to be the divorce sale, right? So it's this weird double standard that human beings have. And when you understand how the human mind works and you understand that, you know, they got their own rules, you got your own rules, it's a lot more, I think the word is palatable to negotiate. Because there's another illusion in the mind that exists with negotiates proven, no matter how good or bad you do, you always think you did your best, even if you really suck. So that's why it's hard to sell negotiation training because everybody thinks they're good, even if they suck. Yeah, that's a good point. And they won't realize that until someone else negotiates with them. <laughs> so Yeah, you, or they get hosed. <laughs> that's right. So you want to give them what they need in order to know what they need. You really have to spend time, as you say, collecting information and don't make an offer too early. That makes a lot of sense. Now, you talk about this idea of nonlinear time, the law of nonlinear time, and that we need to obey it while we negotiate. What does that mean? You know, we have this idea that time goes in a straight line, like forwards and backwards, or, you know, forwards at least. And in negotiation, time is nonlinear. It can get loopy. It can go forwards, backwards, sideways. Like, you know, it's really interesting. Like, you know, I'm negotiating on this warehouse right now, and time is it's going forwards and backwards a little bit. You know, we are somewhat going backwards right now. You might break time, you know, you might give them the letter of intent and then time breaks for a bit and then you might come back. So you need to know how to use time to your advantage. So that includes speeding up time where you put pressure on, you can slow time down when they're putting pressure on you, you can slow it down. You can break time where things are getting heated. You might break it off and have a silence or you might have a couple days to cool off. You can also go backwards in time where it seems like the negotiation is going backwards to where it started. You can go forwards. There's a lot of things you can do with manipulating time. And I mean, you can have limited time offers. There's, there's so many things you can do with time. And when you can manipulate time and use time to your advantage, that's where you can get a lot of maybe concessions you didn't know you're going to get or really great terms from manipulating time. Another one is waiting to the right time to make an offer. Or, you know, another example would be, I remember I was buying a property years ago. I was willing to pay $100,000 for this house. And that was actually too much money. And the husband, he wouldn't take the deal. And six months later, his wife, who I never met, found my business card on the nightstand, called me 
said, screw him, we're getting a divorce, I'll sell it to you for 85000 So time broke, time did some sort of weird manipulation on those people, and six months later, I'm getting the house for 15000 less because of the manipulation of time. So time can be to your advantage, it can be a disadvantage, you got to know how to use time to your advantage. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. And I think the last commandment is really becoming a student of human nature and irrationality. What fascinates you about that? Well, human nature, man, I mean, it's an endless study. I got 30 laws of human nature here in the book. And human nature makes no sense. It's just like irrationality. Like, you know, my mother, for example, she just moved out of her home. She's trying to downsize. So her home is 1,600 square feet. It's about 350000 She sells that home, buys another town home, 350000 1,600 square feet. She tells me it's too big and too expensive, but buys the same size and same price. So like, you know, you look at people and how they make decisions, it's completely irrational. This actually doesn't make sense. So when you understand that, you know, you might think people are rational, you might think that they're selling on a rational term. You know, often people, when they sell properties, it's debt, divorce, downsizing, especially in apartment blocks. People don't sell apartment blocks. They don't need to sell them. It's the best business ever. But they have a death, a divorce, or a downsizing. Like, look at divorce. Divorce makes no sense. You lose 70% of your wealth in divorce, not even 50%. But somebody wants out because somebody doesn't like somebody anymore. Or, you know, somebody died. I had a call today from, there's a condo here in town. Somebody died and the body's in the condo. And the family says, we don't want to deal with it. It smells bad. So there's a dead body in a condo. And we can probably buy that for nothing because it smells bad. Or, you know, there's a dead cat in the kitchen. I don't want to deal with that. Or, you know, if it's a apartment block, someone drove a car in the swimming pool. I don't want to deal with the car in the swimming pool. So, you know, people have these irrational thoughts and irrational ideas. And we think we're rational. Even investors, we think we're rational, but we're not. Like, we still have the emotional underlying piece. We always have the reptilian brain and the mammalian brain making the decisions, whereas the neocortex, the thinking brain, is trying to be rational, but at the end of the day, it comes down to fear and greed usually, right? You know, people are greedy and they want it or they're fearful and they run away. And so, you know, you're probably buying because you're greedy in some level and the person's probably selling because they're fearful. And that's how people make interactions, even in raising capital. The investors go from fear to greed. Fear, 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 greed. Same with people buying. They go fear, 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 greed. And that's just how people make decisions. And when you understand the mammalian brain, the reptilian brain, human nature, that's how you can make transactions happen and get your best position. Yeah. So uh, clear to me, you have a curiosity around negotiation. You kind of like it. You're making a study of it. So I can tell from reading your book that you've observed this and you've studied this for a long period of time. And I think that's kind of the lesson to me and, and the listeners is to really, really pay attention to negotiation. Now, one of the things that makes it a little more complicated, the negotiation is in a lot of times, especially with commercial, is that we're we're working not with the seller or the owner directly, but with a listing broker of some sort. How does the negotiation change? How does the dynamic change? What's some advice that you have for when we have to negotiate through a broker? Well, I mean, brokers are a pain in the ass because you have an agent, an agent, and then they have a broker, like a boss, right? So there's actually four people, and then there's you, and then there's the other side. You know, I've done hundreds of deals now, hundreds of real estate deals as an investor. And I'm buying a lot of homes or small multi-units and stuff. I advise, man, if you can get direct to the seller, that is always better. And one thing that you can do 
if things are getting muddled up with brokers, because brokers, they don't give a crap about you. They don't give a crap about their seller. They say they do, but they don't. They want their 2% or whatever their commission is. And one thing you can do is you can say to your broker, hey, put me in the same room as the seller and we'll just hash this out. We'll pay you guys. I'll pay you. Just get out of the way and let me go for lunch with this guy. I've done that on apartment blocks. Actually, I was looking at a, I think it was like a 30 or 40 unit apartment block a couple years ago. And we just said to the broker, hey, let us sit down with this guy. We went out for a steak dinner. The guy showed up. He had a shamrock shake from McDonald's. He puked all over himself. He was a mess. And he actually got up and ran away at one point. When you look at that or you can get to the human element behind that, I think that's a great way. The brokers, they don't usually make things easier. They usually make things harder. Things cost more with brokers. And I think anything you can do to get the brokers out of there is good. Or the other thing you can do with brokers is be very organized and have everything written out. And you can say, here's my offer. Here's my schedule A. Boom, here, make it happen. They're usually not very good. It's really sad with brokers. They're not the smartest guys. They're the C students that didn't make it in school. They didn't make it in anything, and they're not that bright. So usually I try to take them to the side if I can. They usually don't help the deal. They make it harder. Yeah, that's our observation as well. Unfortunately, we do have to deal with them sometimes. However, we don't always ask to speak with a seller directly. We just assume that they will say no, and the advice is really ask more for that because you have certain advantages based on what we talked about here. Yeah, this is good. This is great stuff, Stefan. How can people connect with you? Well, then come to my website, stefanarnio.com, S-T-E-F-A-N-A-A-R-N-I-O.com. They can also check out a copy of the 10 Commandments in Negotiation. It's the letter X, like Roman numeral 10, xnegotiation.com. They can get a copy, written several other books as well. And I think we do the negotiation class. We do it once every two years or so. So if somebody wants to come into the negotiation class, it's a super cool thing. Life-changing experience. You watch people go from being horrible negotiators to amazing negotiators in the span of three days. Yeah, that's awesome. I really enjoyed your, your book as well. We only scratched the surface of what was in that book. So if you guys are listening, definitely check out his book. It was fabulous. Hey, thanks again, Steph. Really, really appreciate it. Thank you, Michael. Appreciate being on the show. All right. If we moved a little bit too quick for you, don't worry about it. We have the show notes at themichaelblank.com forward slash session 114. That's the Michael Blank, T-H-E, Michael Blank is B-L-A-N-K.com forward slash session 114. Or just go to themichaelblank.com and click on podcast and you'll see the episode. Here are the 10 commandments now in summary. Number one, get what you want and get out. Number two, have a pleasing personality. Number three, make sure you prepare before you go in to negotiate anything. Number four, know what you want and have clear written goals for each negotiation. Number five is gather all the information before making an offer. Number six, always present an offer of greater value. Number seven, do not give concessions freely. Number nine is obey the laws of non-linear time. And number 10, become a student of human nature and irrationality. So those are 10 laws of negotiation. If you want to learn more about that, check out Stefan's book. It's at xnegotiation.com. That's the website. You can get the book. His website is stefanarnio.com. Check him out. I think the lesson for me is really focus on negotiation. And the book was excellent. It was well done. He told me afterwards it took him two years to write that book. Really well done. Maybe attend one of his seminars as well. 
If you haven't done so already, make sure you check out my course as well if you want to get started with apartment building investing. And negotiation is a key element of that. I spend a little more time on negotiating through brokers because they are a pain in the butt. And unfortunately, most of the time we have to do that. So I spend quite a bit of time in there on helping negotiation through brokers, which is pretty tricky. So to check that out, you can go to the michaelblank.com and click on products. It's called the ultimate guide to buying apartment buildings with private money. Everything that you need to get started with apartment buildings. There's also a support program as well as two tickets to my live event called the Financial Freedom Summit, where we simulate the purchase of a 69 unit deal. So within two days, you will have experienced what it's like to buy an apartment building. So that's all on the michaelblank.com forward slash products. And if you haven't done so already, talking about raising money is download my free ebook. It's at the michaelblank.com forward slash ebook. It's called The Secret to Raising Money to Buy Your First Apartment Building. That's also at the michaelblank.com forward slash ebook. Hey guys, if you enjoyed the show, really appreciate it. Leave me a review on iTunes. Love seeing those. Really appreciate you guys for listening to me. And I will catch you on the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast with Michael Blanc. For more free podcasts, articles, and videos, go to themichaelblanc.com. There, you can also download the free ebook, The Secret to Raising Money to Buy Your First Apartment Building. Till next time.